Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. There are times in life when unforeseen circumstances like the death of a loved one, a sudden illness, the loss of a job, or even a global pandemic can derail our lives. So how can we care for and repair ourselves when life knocks us down? Our guest on this episode, Catherine May, has written a New York Times best-selling book on that topic. It's called Wintering the power of rest and retreat in difficult times. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Tell us more about what you mean by the term wintering and how you came to write the book. Wintering is a term I've borrowed really from the natural sciences um, to describe a process that humans go through really commonly in our lives, but one that's hidden and that's the experience of falling through the cracks, I suppose I'd, I'd say. So, I mean, that might happen because we've had a big change in life, like a divorce or a bereavement. Um, it might come after a mental or physical illness. It just might come when we're confronting huge change. But what I say is, however it arrives, it's always really painful and a very difficult time but it's also a time when we undergo a transformation. We, we kind of retreat from the world and we feel like we're actually quite forcibly cut off from it. But in that period of retreat, we're able to reform ourselves and, and reformulate how we're going to go back out into the world again. So in retrospect, we often look back on it and see it as a very, very important time in our life. But at the time, we maybe don't realise that. And I suppose I wanted to write a book about getting perspective on that, really, like understanding how normal it is to go through that, understanding how valuable it can be, and just cracking open all the different elements of that experience by looking at how nature winters and how we really easily accept the cyclical nature of wintering when we're looking at the natural world, but we struggle to do it when we look at our poor human selves. Let's talk about what inspired you to write it. You had a lot of life changes, a series of disasters, as I heard you describe it, and realized <laughs> that you shouldn't be surprised when things don't go quite as planned. How were you able to change your mindset from overwhelm and panic mode into the, hey, this happens in nature and it's something we should embrace? Yeah, well, it's really funny, actually, because I'd already been commissioned to write the book before all the events happened that opened the book. Um, I had kind of pitched wintering after looking back over my life and, and recognising those patterns. You know, I've suffered from depression and anxiety. I've had serious health issues that have, you know, really, you know, made me have to quit jobs and leave whole houses and all kinds of things. And I thought that I could write this like wise survey of life where I, you know, looked at all the difficult bits from a high point and, and just shared my knowledge. And of course, as soon as soon as I sat down to write, like life took over and I found myself dealing with a whole load of other issues that, that put me into a winter. You know, my, my husband got really ill and then I developed a long-term illness. I left my job. I was already leaving it anyway, but I had to leave earlier because I wasn't well. Then my son became very anxious and had to be taken out of school. And the world just started kind of raging around me. And like for a while, I seriously doubted whether I could write the book at all. I just, I felt like there was just no space in my world to do it. But actually, when I realised that I needed to include my present experience and stop pretending that I, that I was like 
done with wintering forever, um, it became a much easier book to write because actually I, I kind of followed my way through and it, it was quite cathartic really to describe those experiences. I mean, they're, you know, like quite often memoir is about an exceptionally difficult time, you know, that's, that's sort of world-beatingly bad and it's not really like that, this book. They're very ordinary, difficult things and stuff that people will be facing all the time. But actually, I think that helps in a way, you know, it's it's sort of asserting the importance of those those moments. Do you think as a result of the pandemic that we have all been in some sort of wintering for the last year or so? Yeah, I mean, I've heard it described as a mass wintering. And I think what's really interesting is that it's a mass wintering, but not necessarily a communal wintering. So everybody is wintering separately. You know, we've been forced apart. And that, in a way, is helpful. Like, we're all going through something at the same time. And I think, you know, it's the first time in our lifetime that we've been through that, that we've been through a time when we acknowledge general suffering and have to really talk about the hardship of life and and, and are just unable to conceal it anymore. But at the same time, we've all been really separated physically, but also because different aspects of the pandemic have hit different people, you know, so it might be that you're experiencing too much isolation. It might be that you're ill. It might be that you're overwhelmed with trying to work and look after kids at the same time. It might just be that you're very fearful of what might happen to you. And so you're kind of keeping yourself away from the world because you're you're afraid and, and you know, often with very, very good reason. And so it's really interesting that somehow that still doesn't quite unite us. Um, you know, there's this opportunity that we could all suddenly go, look, we know this is true now. Come on, let's just take care of each other. But we still still struggle with that, I think. This episode is sponsored by Ritual. And we want to tell you more about why we're big believers in all of Ritual's products. Let's focus on Ritual's essential protein products for a moment. You know, we all need protein. Protein helps support bone health and so much more. It's not just about muscles. But protein powders can be intimidating to say the least. Plus, as we go through life, our protein needs change, so it's important to choose a mix for different life stages. Ritual's Essential Protein is a delicious plant-based protein powder with three distinct formulas designed to meet your body's changing protein needs during different life stages. There's Daily Shake 18+, Daily Shake 50+, and Daily Shake Pregnancy and Postpartum. And each of these three thoughtful formulas contains 20 grams of pea protein per serving. Ritual's Essential Protein Powder powder is a good foundation for your health and it's easy to incorporate into your daily rituals. It sure is. I just add water, shake and sip and I love the great taste. It's a delicious handcrafted vanilla formula from sustainably harvested Madagascar vanilla bean extract. I love it too because there's no added sugar or sugar alcohols. It's soy-free, gluten-free, and non-GMO. You may have heard us talk about Ritual's products over the years and why we really appreciate that with Ritual's one-of-a-kind visible supply chain, you know the what, how, and why of every labeled ingredient. 
you won't find fillers, colorants, or shady additives. Ritual offers a super flexible subscription service with free shipping for subscribers, free easy cancellation, and a money-back guarantee within the trial period. Are you ready to shake up your protein ritual? Our Nobody Told Me listeners get 10% off during your first three months at ritual.com NTM. And remember, Ritual even offers a money-back guarantee if you're not 100% in love. Visit ritual.com slash ntm today for 10% off your first three months. Again, that's ritual.com slash ntm for 10% off your first three months. I have depression like you do. And it's interesting how this pandemic has made some things almost easier for me because for the first (laughs) time I felt like everybody's struggling and I don't want people to struggle, but it felt like there was support in a weird way. Empathy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I felt like people understood me a little better. Mm -hmm. Have you felt that as well, that this mass wintering has almost made you feel more like you're part of a team than before? Yeah, I mean, I think it's made us visible, hasn't it? Like it's made our experience really commonplace. At the beginning of the pandemic, um, like loads of people were suffering from anxiety for the first time in their life. And a friend of mine who who really, really struggles with anxiety has, has found it really disabling, said to me, and it did make me laugh, but I think it's really true. She said, oh, these people, they just aren't experienced in anxiety like us. Like they don't know how to handle it, honestly. <laughs> Those <you know>? beginners. <laughs> yeah, it made me really laugh. And I, on one hand, I, I thought it was a wonderful bit of snark, you know. Like, right, you know, right. Wise old woman of anxiety. But also, I do think that points to the way that suddenly people like you and I, who are who have been through it and also are able to talk about it, because not everyone feels able to do that, can become kind of elders in this situation and can reach out and go, We've got this. We know we know the right. scope, you know, we know the shape of this. We it's can be okay. in a position to help other people in a way that I feel like yeah. we wouldn't have been able to before because everybody's feeling more comfortable about coming forward with mm. their own struggles. And so whereas yeah. before we had to hide this part of us, I think in some ways, at least in my case, it's made me more outgoing about it. That's really interesting, isn't it? It's liberating. Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, is and isn't that like that's actually it's actually oh God the pandemic being affirming is not the not the word that most people would reach for, but <laughs> I think for some of us, yeah. I mean, a yeah, we do feel experienced in this space. We feel like we've been through these periods of isolation before, and we we know what they're about. But also, like, yeah, isn't it nice to feel like you're the one with the roadmap for once? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, like the 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 copers are not coping right now, and here are we, like, yeah, we know how not to cope. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Catherine, you talk about the social isolation that a lot of people have experienced in in the last year or so. And I'm wondering if you could shed some more light on how important physical contact is, a hug or a pat on the shoulder or a handshake or even a smile in terms of comforting us when we feel upside down, when we're in a wintering phase. Yeah, I mean, we we know that there's some very solid evidence actually about the need for physical contact for human beings. Um, there was some really interesting stuff about children a few years ago that came out that actually, like as schools have tried to be more and more precise about not touching children and, and you know, asserting boundaries between teacher and child, that it's caused a huge amount of anxiety in the youngest children because they needed that touch as part of their regular sense of communication. 
And I, I think, you know, we've seen that with so many adults too, particularly the ones who are socially isolated and completely alone, you know, that some people haven't been hugged for a year. And, and that's really, really painful. Like casual touch is part of our communication. Now, I mean, I'm autistic. I actually hate being casually touched. Like when people accidentally kind of brush against my hand or hug me or whatever, I, like it's really uncomfortable to me. So there's been some aspects of this, like of this pandemic that have made my life more comfortable. Nobody has touched me this year, which is like really awesome. But I've had my family at home with me. I've had my son and my husband. And so I'm not lacking the touch that I consent to, you know, so that's been, that's been like the right balance for me. Um, but yeah, I, you know, there are so many different painful aspects of this and, I think it's going to take us a long time to actually unpick what they all were. You know, there's some that are maybe less obvious, but that's going to have a real hangover for a lot of people. And it's been a reason why a lot of people have broken the rules. You know, they they are mm -hmm. desperate for for humanity to be close to them again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also given people a really good opportunity to go and explore their surroundings in a way that they maybe wouldn't do if they could just hang out with a group of friends in their basement. And I love the story <laughs> about how you went and searched for bluebells and how you really took your time to do that. I think a lot of yeah. people have been like you and that they've taken these longer more meaningful cell phone free adventures to mm. just really relax their mind and get to be different people really than they were before. How do you mm. think that nature and, and spending time outside helps us relax and winter in a different way than say, just sitting at home and watching Netflix? I mean, thank goodness for Netflix this year. Just, just to oh, put that yes. out there before oh I start. Gosh, I mean, yes. I'm in no way going to diss Netflix right now. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think nature is a huge guide for us during these times. We can immerse ourselves in watching how it changes, like no matter how small that is. You know, it doesn't have to be like we have to get out into a national park and climb a mountain and swim a lake. We can watch a you know the flowers in a window box or a pot plant on the window if, if that's all we have and that endless cycle of transformation and growth and dying back and regenerating is a metaphorical structure that can help us to understand what we're going through but also it just helps us to notice how time's passing like this year has been full of timelessness nothing's made any sense you know weeks feel like they last forever or they pass in a moment you know everything's felt stitched together differently and nature can help us to slow down and to watch you know physical movement clearly helps us we know that really really well but actually it's about being part of that world and noticing all of the stuff around us carrying on while we're in crisis and for me that's hugely comforting and what other lessons can the natural world teach us about wintering? I mean, you touch on things like hibernation, for example. What, what, yeah. How can we tune into what the natural world does in terms of wintering and, and connect that to our lives and make us feel a little bit normal about whatever we're going through? Yeah, well, I think time operates differently in nature. You know, it's cyclical. And while everything moves on every year, it also stays the same and goes through the same patterns. And there's a safety in that if we can learn to realise that we go through those patterns too. It may be on a different time scale, but it, it certainly happens. You know, 
we have this strange expectation that we will always be in summer in our lives. Like everything should always be perfect. Everything should be running well. We should be happy. It should be going our way. And if we stop to think about that for a while, that is a completely unrealistic belief. There is, right. and, it's, and it's certainly out of our control. You know, there is nothing we could do that would make life always be okay. We are not able to do that. And yet we let ourselves believe that that's the case. And when you start to observe what the natural world does, you realize that it just gets on with the work of preparing for winter. You know, trees drop their leaves and cut back to the, the barest essentials in order to get through. But they do get through and then they're going to leaf again in, in you know, well, I'm, it's March now in, in here in the UK and we're just beginning to get leaf buds. Um, and, you know, like animals who hibernate, they are, like, a way of seeing them is that they are actually pointed towards surviving winter. You know, their life isn't about the times when they're awake and in the sun. It's actually all about preparing for that time when they are sleeping through winter. So they're busy laying on fat so that they can survive. And, you know, like I, I spent some time talking to a, a really wonderful beekeeper when I was researching the book. And he described bees as wintering machines, which I just thought was absolutely lovely. <laughs> like <laughs> he said everything about a bee's physiology is pointed towards surviving winter rather than, you know, all the stuff we think about them doing, which is collecting pollen in the summer and making honey. Like they make honey to survive the winter. That is exactly what they're doing. They always have their little bee minds on winter, if, if you want to see it that way. That <laughs> maybe a little bit cute uh, for bees. But um, yeah, and so, I mean, there's a, there are a few examples of, of just how we we kind of forget to tell the stories of winter and therefore we forget winter in our own life. But when you start to really notice what nature's up to, you notice that winter is a really normal part of the cycle and it's a really normal part of the cycle for us too. As a millennial, I feel like everything that this book is about is something I need, but it's so counterintuitive to what I've been taught that when mm. things start to go wrong, all I want to do is do more. And I feel like if I have any time <laughs> left over at all, I need to be spending that time trying to get out of that season of winter. And it's so hard to yeah. embrace it. Why is it yeah. better to do nothing than to actually do whatever we can to come out of that tough time? I think the, the answer to that is because when you're already exhausted, you need to rest rather than make yourself even more exhausted. And I, I mean, like I'm, I'm just outside of the millennial band. I was born in 1977. So I think that puts me three years outside of millennials. So like, I'm on the edge of millennial and I, I certainly enough. have grown up. <laughs> yeah, close enough. Yeah. My brother is a millennial and I'm not. So there you go. That's what we talk about at Christmas. Um, but, I, but I do, I kind of, I graduated into that world, you know, and I understood it. And for me, I felt very resistant against that culture of just endlessly throwing yourself at the world very early. But it's taken me a long time to fight it because like, it's terrifying, isn't it? To go against that endless productivity and that sense that we should always be hustling and that sense that success is based on how busy we are and, and therefore, you know, that confirms to us that we're important in the world. Like all of that stuff is really, really hard to combat. But actually, I think what we need to understand is how recent that belief is that, that, you know, 
the, the 20th century was a period of massive change and the 21st century has like we've regurgitated all that change onto the beginning of the 21st century and it's scrambled. Like we've, we've definitely got it wrong. I have no doubt in my mind that we are creating life patterns at the moment that are just not sustainable. And, you know, that means all kinds of things. You know, it means that um, we've created a housing market that people can't get into. We've created working lifestyles that, you know, only the fittest can survive. I, I was listening this week to um, a story from a, a consulting firm where its youngest members were basically rioting about the way they were being treated because they were working 20 hour days. And, you know, we have to take a step back at some point and wonder what on earth we're thinking, like whether we think this is actually human life and how long we can sustain this for. Because I, I think it's, you know, it's going to crumble under our feet if we don't think about how we want to live. Hey there, Nobody Told Me listeners. This is Laura Owens here to tell you about a cause that's really near and dear to my heart. The Grey Muzzle Organization is in pursuit of a world where every senior dog thrives and no old dog dies alone and afraid. To achieve this vision, they provide funding and resources to animal shelters, rescue organizations, sanctuaries, and other nonprofit groups nationwide. Once considered unadoptable, senior dogs were often the first to be euthanized to make room for younger dogs in overcrowded animal shelters. But thanks to the work of the Gray Muzzle Organization, the future has never looked brighter for sweet senior dogs. As one of the only national organizations solely focused on the welfare of senior dogs, Gray Muzzle is the driving force behind innovative, senior-specific programs to help get more good old dogs out of shelters and into loving homes. Learn how you can help at graymuzzle.org. You're a mother, and I'm wondering how you feel parents can help their kids deal with those times in life when life throws you a curveball. Because someone mm. told me one time, it was one of the best pieces of wisdom I ever heard. And, and they said, you know, you haven't taught your children anything if you haven't taught them how you deal with pain and with those mm. times when life doesn't <laughs> go your way. Yeah, I think that's very true. I think it's very, very hard. But one of our responsibilities is to let our children struggle sometimes and to like make them aware that they're struggling to to make that part of their learning experience. I mean, again, this it's quite recent that we have this idea that a parenting is a, a thing in itself, but also that parenting is the practice of making sure that your child's every need is catered for and that they never suffer and feeling like you failed if your child does you know, fail or suffer or, or struggle in any way. We need to reframe that because we're not helping our children if we don't set up the conditions in which they can struggle safely and with like love around them and support. And so, you know, like when my son began to struggle, I made a big effort to listen to him, like to really hear him about what he was going through. You know, everyone was telling me that I just had to push on through and get him back into school. And like, he was just going to have to suck it up because like, that's what you do. And I thought, God, no, every part of me is rebelling against that. And so I just tried to really hear him and tried to find a way to tell him that he was in a winter at that time and that this was going to come to him at many times in his life and that it was okay. It was okay to feel sad. It was okay for him to work through some feelings and he did and he you know like he was capable of much more 
than I expected him to be capable of. And, you know, it wasn't an easy time for any of us. And he is back in school now, incidentally. But we both learned together and we both worked with uncertainty and with me not knowing the answers and him not knowing the answers and figured it out for ourselves. And, and I'm really proud that we did that now. I think, I hope I can give other people permission to really listen to their children's needs in the future because that's how we'll all begin to cope better with the world because those children grow up into adults that have got resilience, genuine resilience and not the kind of fake resilience that's like, I'm smiling, it's all okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny that when I first knew we were going to interview you and we were so excited, but one of the first things (laughs) I wanted to know was now what are the long-term ways that we can teach ourselves to winter. And I thought, well, this isn't a long-term plan that we need to have. All it really is, is just taking a breath, taking a step back and saying, Hey, we need Mm. to relax. Yet there's something about our minds that I think wants to complicate (laughs) this into so much more, or am I oversimplifying it? What do you think? No, no, I think you're right. I think all of us are are like, where's my workbook for this? Like, where's the the (laughs) step back? (laughs) Yes. We think there's a long and a short-term way to do this. Yeah. Let's go for the short term. Yeah, because, you know, we want that we want it made safe for us, don't we? We want the the plan that tells us, like, here's the pattern. Here's the shape it's going to take. This is the step you can follow through. And then look, here you are delivered at the end, like a brand mm-hmm. new, lovely human being. And actually, like wintering is a moment by moment process. It's like it's a tiny time scale that you winter on. And that's often because you're trying to cope through the next 10 minutes. Like that's the only time scale you can mm-hmm. manage at that point. Like, how do I get from this moment of despair to, you know, making it into the next hour without, you know, running away. But that's one of the best pieces of advice I ever heard from somebody was if something seems unmanageable to you to ask yourself, can I make it through 10 minutes? What about the next Mm. 10 minutes and take it 10 minutes at a time? I remember hearing that once and I thought, well, gosh, that, that makes it seem like you can get through anything in the world and you can do a good job of getting through it, not just barely scraping by. Absolutely. And you don't have to achieve anything in those 10 minutes. You just have to get through. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes like the greatest thing you can do is make yourself a cup of tea and drink it. You know, like that is your survival in that period of time. And then you go and water your plants, you know, and then you go and watch TV for half an hour. And then you go and paint your toenails. Like if, if your day is made up of those things, you've done a great job when you're in a crisis. We're glad you're part of our Nobody Told Me family of listeners, and we're excited to tell you about Lomi, the world's first smart waste appliance. If you've struggled with composting and feel it's too much work or feel bad that you're not doing your part to help the environment, you have to check out Lomi. Lomi is a countertop electric composter, and I love it because I don't have a traditional garbage disposal. With Lomi, I don't need to take a lot of trips to the garbage with food waste. I just turn food scraps into dirt with the push of a button. And in just a minute, we'll tell you about a special offer from Lomi for our Nobody Told Me listeners. I love my Lomi because just about anything I'd put in the kitchen disposer can be put into the Lomi on my countertop and turned into dirt in four hours. There's no smell when it runs and it's really quiet. Since I got my Lomi, I throw out way less garbage. Me too. And you know, I think it's cut down my kitchen garbage by at least a half. That means it's not going to landfills and producing methane. Instead, my Lomi turns my food waste into nutrient-rich dirt that I can feed to my plants. It is so cool to see. 
I feel great knowing that I'm composting and creating soil instead of garbage. I have a basically limitless supply of dirt now for my garden, and Lomi is so easy to use. While you may want to get a Lomi for yourself, you may also want to get one for someone on your holiday list. This is a great gift that will help someone year-round. If you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just make cleanup after dinner that much easier, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash NTM and use the promo code NTM to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to Lomi.com slash NTM. And again, that's Lomi spelled L-O-M-I. Use promo code NTM at checkout. Food waste is gross. Lomi is your solution. With the holidays just around the corner, Lomi will make the perfect gift for someone on your shopping list. Just head to Lomi.com slash NTM and use the promo code NTM to get $50 off your Lomi. How important do you think journaling is during winters in our lives? I mean, you're a writer. Is that a tool that you have used a lot of times to cope with, with the difficult times, those times when you feel like you've fallen through the cracks. I'm very disappointing on this front. I have never kept a journal. Interesting. <laughs> wow. wow. I, yeah, I know. I can't stick with it. I, I, every now and then I think, oh, I'll try doing that again. And I last about four days and then think, mm-hmm. oh, screw this. I can't be bothered. <laughs> <laughs> but in a sense, what you've written about, I mean, you've worked through yeah. those times with your writing. Yeah, it's true. I mean, what's when I was kind of going back over old times when I was writing the book, I often look back over photos because they were really evocative for me. I take loads of photos on my phone um, and that often triggers the kind of memories that are, that are like a journal. And, I, and, you know, I do keep a writer's notebook. So I, I write down, you know, stuff that I've noticed that I find interesting, books that I've read, ideas I've come across but I've never been able to do it regularly in any way, shape or form. You know, like I probably haven't written in my writer's notebook for a month. <laughs> I really, <laughs> and, and, but then I'll, you know, there'll be a month when I write in it three times a day because there's loads of stuff that I want to get down. Um, I know I really, I really should be better at it by rights, given that all the, all the stuff that I do, but I am a hopeless journaler. <laughs> <laughs> How do you hope that your readers will be different after they read Wintering? Oh, that's a really nice question. I I hope they'll be softer towards the world. You know, I hope that the book invites them to take care of themselves more, to listen to their instincts and to let go of trying to control everything and just to soften and feel what they feel and be what they are in that moment. Like that's what I would love it to deliver to people. There's a lot of self-forgiveness running through the book, I think. Um, and if, you know, if I can make one person forgive themselves a tiny bit, I'm fairly happy with that. Oh, yeah. Catherine, how do you think we can help people in our lives, friends or, or family members or coworkers, whoever it might be, when they're going through a a tough time, a wintering in their lives? Mm, I think think the biggest skill we could all learn, and I need to learn this as much as anyone else, is to just listen to people without fixing, you know, just to be able to sit with people's difficult feelings and be challenged by those feelings, 
but not say, right, here's what I think you need to do this, 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 and this, and this, because we've all been on the receiving end of that. And actually when we're in pain, we just want someone to understand, you know, just to say that sucks. That sounds awful. It's so much more powerful than saying, oh, well, it'll be okay next week. And actually, did you know there's a new club opening up down the road that you could join? Like, <laughs> It's really, <laughs> we have to unlearn all our solving instincts and and just learn to to be with people's pain and to you know within that acknowledge our own discomfort with hearing those those messages because it, it is hard to hear and and that's a that's a skill that we can develop slowly I think. Catherine, as you know, our show is called Nobody Told Me. So at the end of each show, we ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? So what is it that nobody told you about the benefits of slowing down in a crisis that you wish they had before you started to go through some crises of your own? Mm, I think nobody told me how exquisite the space can be in the middle of a winter like there's an eye of the storm when you still feel sad and you still feel lonely, but that you're so immersed in those feelings that you realize that they are as beautiful as happiness because they are such a fundamental part of your humanity. That's impressive. Yeah, beautiful. It sounds pretty. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And Catherine, (laughs) how, how can people connect with you on social media and the internet? Yeah, I'm round and about. So I'm on Instagram, where I'm Catherine May underscore. uh, And I'm also on Twitter, where I've got the very ugly tag of underscore Catherine underscore May underscore, which looks fine on the screen. But when you have to say it out loud, it sounds absolutely absurd. (laughs) There's another Catherine May that just has Catherine May, and I just hate them. I want that one. (laughs) (laughs) And what what about your website? I am Catherine-May.com. Thank you so much for joining us. This has really been insightful and, and fun, and I hope very helpful to our listeners. I know it will be. Oh, thank you. It's been lovely to talk. Again, our thanks to Catherine May, whose latest book is called Wintering, The Power of Rest and Retreat in Difficult Times. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay, here's the situation. Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover. We have friends coming to stay, and we just got a puppy. So I go on Instacart and solve everything in one order from Kohl's. Fun PJs for Mia. Oh, new bedding for the guest room. And a vacuum cleaner that actually picks up pet hair. All delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. With Kohl's on Instacart, there's no such we can't fix. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum order. Additional terms apply.